Heavenly Father, open our minds right now and our hearts to hear from You. God, help us to really lay down whatever came to our mind that Brianna was, she was leading us in that, just opening our hands and just laying at Your feet. Whatever it is, help us to lay that down and get it out of the way. God, uh, sometimes we come and it's a regular thing that we're in worship, and so sometimes, Lord, that can create us uh, just not being open to being good listeners and good hearers and then applying. And Lord, I pray that you help us to be good listeners and hearers with our, all of our heart and all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And the Lord, help us to, to live out what we're encouraged to do today in your word. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will speak this message to everybody here today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Moral relativism is a philosophy that asserts that there is no global, absolute moral law that applies to all people for all times and in all places. Moral relativism says that that you live according to what you believe is true and right, but there are no absolute truths and no absolute rights. Situational uh, encounters dictate the moral disposition. In other words, if I'm in this situation, I can do this right now because I think it's right, but then when I move to this situation, I can change what I think is right, and I can do whatever I think is right over here. Summing up this idea of moral, uh, moral philosophy, Frederick Nietzsche wrote, You have your way, I have my way, as for the right way, it does not exist. Some world thinking, some world philosophy. Another terminology you might hear this called is also known as secular humanism. The idea behind relativism or humanism is that you be your own God. You are God. You're in control. Do what you want to do. Live the way you want to live. Decide for yourself what is right. Decide for yourself what is wrong. But don't dare try to push your ideas and your thoughts onto somebody else. You live your way. I will live my way. In this thinking, the Bible, the book that we use as a foundational truth in our church, in, in that kind of thinking, they say, that's a nice book, it's a good history book, good to read, read it if you want to read it, but you can get God's will and ideas from nature and logic, that is if you believe there is a God. And the Bible is just another history book. And now due to these world philosophies, these ideas, we're plunging deeper and deeper into spiritual darkness. Last week we talked about how the foundations of this world are being shaken. You stop and you look at things like the terrorist attacks, the economic instability, the corporate fraud, wars and rumors or wars. All these things are just showing us more and more how our culture is just falling apart. But i got to tell you this morning, church, the spiritual foundations are also being shaken to the core. We are living in some times right now that are so uncertain of what is next, what's going to happen next. We are living in times right now where people are truly living as if there is no God and they will do whatever they want to do, whatever is right to them. The psalmist describes this mindset, said they know nothing, they understand nothing, they walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I think that verse describes our culture today. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. We are blinded. Last week we started studying 2 Corinthians. We're going to continue in that today. Chapters 3, 4, and 5. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Chapters 3, 4, and 5, Paul is dealing with the church in Corinth. He's dealing with Christians in Corinth who he's trying to teach them in a culture that is against God, in a culture that is, is filled with sin where Satan is running rampant. Here's how we live our lives as Christians, and here's how we can be confident in these uncertain times. The key verse for today comes from verse 6 where God said, Let light shine out of darkness. Look what it says in God's Word. For God said... Let light shine out of darkness. Made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, when you're in a cave, if the lights were to go out, if you were down there a mammoth cave doing some caving and the lights were all of a sudden go out, you know what kind of business you would want to be in? The flashlight business. You'd be like, I've got light, follow me. I tell you, church, we are in the flashlight business. We know the light, and the light is Christ. And our idea is to say, I have some light. Follow me as I follow Christ. The darker the world gets spiritually, the greater the attraction is to Jesus, the light of the world. The darker the world gets, the more people are open to saying, where's hope in this world? How do I make it in this world? And we, the church, have the answer. We get a chance to shine the light of Christ. The prophet Isaiah predicted what the coming Messiah would learn. In Matthew 4.16, he says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That describes our times. You know, living in a shadow of death, and they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And we, the church, have the answer, and we get a chance to shine that light, and that light is Christ. We're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And think about ways that we can confidently let the light of Christ shine through us in a world that is so spiritually dark and uncertain. So today I want you to look together as we study the text. How do we let our light shine? First of all, it's imperative that we remain positive in a negative world. It's imperative that we have a positive mindset as we walk through this world. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. What Paul was saying there is we're in the middle of some tough times, but don't lose heart. Be positive. Be encouraged. It's easy to get discouraged in a world that is increasingly more and more dark, increasingly more and more uh, going down the tube, so to speak. Author Michael Snyder writes on his website, the website's called thetruthwins.com. He writes these words. Most people tend to believe that we can, quote-unquote, fix this country by getting the right politicians into power or by implementing certain economic or social reforms. But the reality of the matter is that our problems go far deeper than that. A moral collapse is eating away at the foundations of our society like cancer. If it continues to go unchecked, it will inevitably destroy America. Unfortunately, fixing moral decay is far more difficult than switching our, our political parties because it is in the hearts of hundreds of millions of individual Americans. And most people don't want to hear anything about a moral collapse because most people like to think that the United States is setting a quote-unquote good example for the rest of the planet. But as you'll see below, that is not the case at all. And if, you're, and if we are honest with ourselves, we see the evidence of this moral collapse all around us every single day. Just consider the few of these news stories. 
What would cause a high school kid to take two kitchen knives and go on a stabbing rampage through his school? What would cause a topless woman to ransack a McDonald's in St. Petersburg, Florida? What would cause two 18-year-old boys to beat a 30-year-old mentally disabled man to death with a baseball bat just so he could take so they could take his Xbox? What would cause a new father to put his six-week-old daughter in a freezer to keep her from crying? A lot of people regard these kinds of stories, he said, as isolated incidents. But as you'll see below, they are actually representative of a much larger trend. As a society, we are decaying from the inside out, and we need to start facing the truth if we are ever going to get this turned around. The following are 100 facts about the moral collapse of America that are almost too crazy to believe. So sit back. We have 100 to work through. Not really. I'll stop there. The article went on and he named 100 facts, evidences of things that are happening in our culture that point to the moral decay. It's hard not to get discouraged when you read that kind of stuff. It's hard not to lose heart when you see churches that are passively disengaging from the culture, abandoning basic doctrinal truths, bickering among themselves, covering over moral scandals. It's hard not to lose heart about your own personal problems. Broadcaster Harry Kalis introduced Hall of Fame baseball player Gary Maddox by saying he's turned his life around. He used to be depressed and miserable. Now he's miserable and depressed. Sometimes that describes Christians. See, if we're converted, we shouldn't be miserable and depressed. We ought to be joyful and optimistic even in the midst of negative situations or negative circumstances. Paul writes, therefore, we don't lose heart. The word therefore refers to the previous chapter where Paul was saying, since our confidence is in Christ, not ourselves, since we are saved by grace, not by law, since our focus is on developing a deeper character and not just impressing people with our reputation, since, since we have this affirmed ministry, we don't lose heart. I'm sure you can look at our culture and you can say it seems like it's spinning out of control awful fast. It seems like the tides of time are changing. It seems like it's one thing to another thing to another thing. You're going, how is this happening? I was having a discussion this week with somebody. They asked the question, why do you think it feels like it's going so fast that we're just spiraling down this tube of destruction? And I said, I think this idea of moral relativism had started back about 25 years ago when it was just ideas in philosophy. It was ideas in college and university, secular humanism. It was ideas being talked about. Now it's infiltrated our, our culture, and it's like a snowball rolling downhill. We now have an avalanche where every single day you see something morally that you're going, really? Wow, is that, oh, what's going on? That things are just changing day by day by day, where now we're starting to look like a country that there is no God. Jesus warned us that this world would get worse. He warned us of this. He said, it's going to get worse. But He also told us that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world in 1 John. And Jesus anticipated that the church would not be imperfect, but He promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He said, I'll do my work. And Jesus predicted, in this world you will have trouble. He said, but take heart, I have overcome this world. And so we live in a culture where, yeah, it's scary sometimes, where it's uncertain, but we can be encouraged because we have Christ in us. The Apostle Paul and his companion Silas 
They were beaten, they were shackled, they were shoved into a dingy dungeon in a jail in Philippi. Now, if anybody had a choice to be depressed and discouraged, I would say it was them. But what were they doing in jail? They were singing songs, they were praying, they were praising God. And in the middle of all that, an earthquake shakes, the prison doors are open, and the jailer comes to Christ, receives Christ, is baptized, and then his family follows on down the road later. Are you walking this world with a mindset of negativity or positivity? Are you walking in this world saying, I can do this through Christ who gives me strength? If we're going to bring the light of Christ to a dark world, we must not lose heart in a sin-filled world where Satan is running rampant. Romans 5.20 says, this, but what says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, where sin got worse, then the love of Christ, the grace of Christ also could increase. Let me share a few examples of that. You say, what are you talking about? Well, a few years ago in California, there was a pastor who decided to do something positive about the encroachment of pornography that was taking over on millions and millions of people that are being addicted. So under the umbrella of what's known as Fireproof Ministries, a minister and her friend started a website called triplexchurch.com. Let me just tell you, maybe for some of you, you might want to write that down. TripleXChurch.com because pornography is destroying marriages, destroying men and women today. And that website they put together was to minister to people who are searching for pornography on the, on the internet. But backed by an experienced Christian psychologist, they bought a booth at the National Porn Convention and put a Christian booth in the middle of the porn convention. They told the attendees, we're not here to argue with you. We're, we're here to help those whose maybe life is spinning out of control. In covering the adult entertainment convention, ABC reported only on the Christian booth and at people's reaction to it. But the LA Times picked up the story with a three-quarter page article the following Saturday. Here's the amazing thing. In the first month, they had over 9 million hits to their website and had to buy more bandwidth. The light is shining darkness. That is when sin increases, grace increases all the more. Becky Edmondson heads up the A-Choice Crisis Pregnancy Center. And instead of just being an anti-abortion, uh, they have focused on being pro-life. They opened their doors right across the street from one of the abortion clinics in Louisville, Kentucky. And since they opened at that location, they have seen hundreds of babies be saved. These mothers were intent on having abortion, but after an ultrasound and seeing the life of the womb, they decided to go ahead and give birth. And the center has helped with, with clothing and shelter and care for the babies and the moms when they're born. Now, right across the street where the abortion clinic is, they have escorts who will meet these young women outside to help escort them inside. And the reason why they have the escorts who meet them outside to escort them inside is because some of the pro-life movement are not always so kind to the girls who are coming and they're yelling profanities at them and trying to discourage them from going in. And so they have escorts to bring them in. Well, Becky Edmondson went across the street one day and started talking to some of the escorts and said, I want to be at peace with you. These girls have a choice of what they're going to do, but we want to love them and just let them know there's a choice. And so she invited the escorts, come across the street with us, and let's have breakfast today together. Some of those escorts took on that and went across the street and had breakfast and started to realize that this Becky's pretty nice and that she's really kind. And so then in the future, as, as girls would pull up in front of the pregnancy center or, or in front of the abortion center, if they saw Becky out there, the escorts started saying, you can talk to that lady, she's nice and kind, she'll do you right. That is grace increasing while also sin is increasing. One girl came to the crisis pregnancy center a month after having an abortion 
in another city. She came to talk to somebody because she was dealing with what's going on mentally with her and also physically wasn't feeling right. She talked with one of the counselors at the Crisis Pregnancy Center and they suggested let's do an ultrasound and let's, let's do an evaluation. Come to find out that when she was pregnant, she wasn't pregnant with one baby, but she had two. She was pregnant with twins. She aborted the first one, but the second one was still alive. She had that child, named her Miracle. That is when light shines in darkness, that we do not lose heart. That's what Christ can do when sin runs rampant, when Christians say, I'm going to shine the light of Christ, His grace can also increase. No matter how intimidating your personal circumstances, we need to be encouraged to not be discouraged. Our God is able to deliver you because greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world. Stay positive. Stay on the offensive. Keep believing that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If we're going to shine a light of Christ and we live confidently in this world, we must remain positive people that Christ is still in control. Secondly, let the light of Christ shine through us. We must demonstrate integrity in a deceptive world. See, verse 2 says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's saying, we've got to be honest. We've got to be people of integrity. From the very beginning, Satan used clever deception to get his way. The Bible describes the prince of this world as crafty, describes him as a liar, describes him as a deceiver, one who disguises himself, describes him as an angel of light, and a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's not surprising, then, that this world would use deceptive ways. And we, the church, Christians, cannot participate in things that lack integrity. We've got to be people of integrity. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at this picture. I don't know about you, but if I was going to McDonald's, I want that burger on the left, not the one on the right. Yeah, how many of you have ever done that? You go to a restaurant, you're like, I don't really want, know what I want. You're flipping through the magazine, you're like, I don't want to read all that. That picture looks really good. I want that. Anybody else do that? Anybody else? I, I, that's what I do sometimes. The pictures convince me. And then they bring it out. I'm like, I, sometimes I want to say, will you bring that menu back? Can we look at side by side? That does not look like that. I mean, you, you've been there. You've done that. Our world uses deception in all kinds of ways. And so then we, the church, because we live in this world, can start to believe and think and behave just like the world and go, well, a little bit of deception, that's okay. But it's all around us. i got to tell you, the only way we're going to be perfect and beautiful in this society is if we can wake up and all of us get photoshopped every morning. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many times you spend in front of the mirror, how many hours you spend with the makeup, how many hours you spend at the gym, we're not going to look like they put in the magazines. I watched several videos trying to understand and trying to look at that, and one guy was being interviewed who's a Photoshop professional, and they asked the question, they said, in these magazines that we see, and we see people on television commercials, how, what percentage of those people have been Photoshopped? What would you guess? What percent has been Photoshopped in those magazines as you walk down the aisle? What percent do you think? The guy said 99.9%. Photoshopped. Young people, moms and dads, you need to hear this encourage your kids. You will never look like those magazines that you see in the aisles. Girls, you'll never be that beautiful as that picture. You'll never be that skinny. You'll never be that muscular young men. The only way you're beautiful is when you walk in Jesus Christ. And our world sells us a lie by 
putting all those things before us constantly saying, here, do this, do that, be like this. It's not possible because all those people have been made up fake by computers. One more example. You probably recognize this guy. seen his picture a couple times. Tell me if you know who that is. Who knows who that is? Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. He was in the news quite a bit a few years back uh, from a Ponzi scheme. Swindled billions of dollars from people with a fake investing scheme. Bernie was so honest, he's now spending 150 years in prison. See, that's what the world teaches us. And then we're told to live in the world, but don't, don't, don't be of the world. In other words, we're supposed to live in this world, but we're supposed to be lights, and so we should not stoop to the ways of the world in order to bring the light of Christ. There's a temptation for Christians to get deceptive or clever with the gospel. Some crisis pregnancy centers disguise themselves to look like abortion clinics, so when a young lady walks in, she goes, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was entering into this. They're like, oh no, God sent you here, because they've tricked them to come in there. There's a Christian track out there that's designed to look like money, maybe a dollar bill or $20 bill, and it's made where you drop it on the ground, and then on the other side of it is the four spiritual laws, so someone can pick it up and read it, and hopefully they'll come to Jesus. i got to tell you, if I walk by and I pick up something that looks like money, I'm going to be really ticked. What church pulled that trick off? I'd be like crumbling up. Let me tell you about your four spiritual laws. I thought that was a $20 bill. It's not how we bring the name of Jesus to people in deceptive ways. There are church services and sermons that are watered down to appeal more to the visitor so they can be acquainted with the gospel little by little. And I just tell you, you say, well, what's the philosophy of center point? Here's my philosophy, my understanding from Scripture is that this gathering is Christians to gather, to be encouraged one another, to, to lift up one another, to fellowship with one another. And if there are unbelievers amongst us, and we hope there are always some people who don't know Jesus, but you would see the truth of the gospel and hear the truth of the gospel and see it lived out in Christians. And so when I preach, my, my target audience typically is mostly, I'm preaching to people who are followers of Jesus. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're investigating. I hope you hear the truth of what it's like to be a Christian. See, in the light of Christ, if it's going to shine through us, it's imperative that we, re we renounce shameful and secretive ways. We must be people of integrity. We are to be people who, who are a complete integrity. Twenty years ago, the church can impress the world with excellence in programming. The church that had the sharpest, uh, nicest thing on the street, so to speak, they're doing the greatest job. Well, people want to go there. Well, I'll tell you, you can go to about 100 different churches in Lexington, and they all look very similar in terms of their presentation and their programming. And that doesn't win people anymore. Today, people don't rush. They don't trust the clergy. They don't trust the church. They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for integrity. We must lead and love through integrity. That's who we must be as the church and as people of Christ. To reach people with the gospel and make a kingdom impact, people need to experience Christians who live lives of integrity every single day of the week. 1929, you probably are familiar with the story about Elliot Ness. He was making $2,800 a year. He once was handed an envelope with $2,000 cash and a note from Al Capone promising that amount weekly if he would back off of his investigations. Ness rejected the bribe and called a press conference to report it. The next day, the headlines read, Ness and his men are untouchable. That's how they became known as the untouchables. They stood up for righteousness and integrity. 
See, the Bible encourages us, the church, Christians, to be untouchable, to be blameless, to be upright, to be pure in heart, to not even a hint of sexual immorality among you, holy and righteous in His sight. Look what 1 Peter 2 says. It says, live such good lives among the pagans, that's the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. In other words, be people of integrity so they will see Christ through us. So they will see God through us. They'll see there's something different about that person. You say, well, how do I do that? How do we do that in today's culture? Well, let me give you a few ideas. When, when others show up late for work continually, you be the person that's on time. When, when others coast through the day, you be the person that puts in the honest days of work. When a good number of people are extending their 15-minute break to 20 and 25 and 30 minutes and then clocking back in, you clock back in right at your 15-minute break when it's, when it's up. Though others may delay in the payment of bills, we pay our bills on time. When everyone else is padding their expense account, you keep your expense account above reproach. When others in the family are hateful, you be loving. When others around you are promiscuous, you remain pure. When others water down the truth of the gospel, you stand firm for the gospel. When everyone else in class is cheating, you don't cheat even if it means you're not going to get a good grade. Dr. Madison Surratt at Vanderbilt University told his students today, I'm going to give you two examinations. One is in trigonometry and the other is in honesty. I hope you'll pass them both, but if you must fail one, fail trig. How many people would be with me failing trig? <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin. There are many good people in the world who can't pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass a test of honesty. Are you living a life of integrity? See, even if you pass the test of integrity, not everyone's going to appreciate it. Some will resent it. Some will renounce it shameful, worldly ways. Some, some will say, renounce you. Paul warns of that in verses 3 or 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul was warning, saying, listen, you're going to do your best. You're going to do your best to shine the light of Christ. You're going to remain positive. You're going to be a person of integrity. But some people are blinded. Their eyes are veiled. There are some people who just cannot see nor understand the truth, as Paul's saying, because of the work of Satan. The God of this age has blinded their eyes. Sometimes we wonder. They heard that testimony. They heard that sermon. They were at that concert. They've watched. Why can that not be persuaded to become Christians? Because their eyes are blinded. Some of you may be in a situation where you're going, my husband watches me get up and go to church every single week, watches me pray, sees me read my Bible. I talk about Christ. Why can't he get it? Or vice versa. Why can't my wife get it? Why can't my children get it? Why can't my neighbor get it? Why won't my friends get it? Sometimes because their eyes are blinded and Paul's call is still live a life of integrity. Live a life of integrity. See, a bright light hurts the eyes of people who are asleep. It embarrasses those who are not dressed properly. It exposes those who are trying to hide something and they scamper like varmints in a damp basement. And so a lot of people run from the light. John 3.19, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Some people are just dealing with their deeds that are evil. They run from the light. And what do we do? We continue to love. We continue to live a life of integrity and we continue to point them towards Jesus. Our task is to shine the light confidently, to shine the light consistently so that any 
who are genuinely seeking will find their way cr- towards Christ. We let the light shine in darkness even though some are uncomfortable with it. How to let your light shine? Remain positive. Don't become negative in this world. Demonstrate integrity. And there's one more way we let the light shine, and that is we practice servanthood in a selfish world. 2 Corinthians 4.5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for the sake of Jesus. We choose to be servants in our culture for the sake of Jesus, that people will come to know Christ. The world is accustomed to almost everyone looking out for who? Looking out for me, myself, and I. Looking out for number one. How can I climb the corporate ladder? Who can I step on so that I have success and not worry about you? But in Jesus' world, in His kingdom, He says we choose to be servants. If you want the light of Christ to shine through you, then take, your, take upon yourself the form of authentic, of a authentic ser- servant, just as Jesus did. Jesus put on the towel, put on the robe of being a servant and washed His disciples' feet. Put the needs of others before yourself. Jesus, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I want people to see what we do and what's the idea? We want to reflect Christ. We want to point people towards Christ. Anybody can serve. Every single one of us in this room, we can serve. Anybody can be unselfish and let the light of Christ come through them. It's a choice we make. Liberal New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof published an editorial May 21, 2002, entitled Following God Abroad. He writes these words, I disagree with the evangelicals on many issues, yet I've lost my cynicism about evangelical groups partly because I've seen them at work abroad. Early this year, for example, I visited the Philippine island of Basilan, home base of Abu Sayyaf rebel group. Aid groups have mostly pulled out because of killings and kidnappings, but I found one still busy providing food and medicine even in the most dangerous areas. It's the Christian Children's Fund. The article goes on and talks about how he's impressed because of their servanthood in the midst of even hard times. There is one thing that impresses the world more than sermons, more than music, more than doctrine, more than buildings, more than programs, and that is compassionate service to those in need. When we get out and we become the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, that's why we ask every one of our growth groups to at least once per semester to find some way to go out in this community and to love people through serving. And we've had one group, they've taken on backpack ministry at Sandersville Elementary. They do that every single week. They take lunches, backpacks over to school so they can provide food for these kids that are in need right in our own area. And you say, well, how do I get involved with that? You write that on your connection card. I want to know more about backpack ministry. We'll have that group contact you. They like to see it grow and see it expand. The only way it expands is more people get involved. That's one idea. One growth group every year, they've been providing coats and blankets to the homeless people in our city. They come to our entire church and say, will you bring blankets and coats? We've given away hundreds of coats and blankets every Christmas season. As, as we just look for the needs of trying to serve those who, who have those kinds of needs. Some of the groups have served at soup kitchens. They've served in the park. They've done yard work together for neighbors. They've gone to hospitals, share the love of Christ, trying to find ways to go into our community to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But i got to tell you something. We as a church need to do more. I'm just going to confess, we're not doing enough in terms of serving our community. And I take that on as, as your pastor and preacher to say, I've got to lead that. And preparing this week, God was all over me going, Brian, I put Centerpoint Christian Church in the middle of this community, right here on this side of town with 18 acres of land, to go and love and serve this community. And he said, are you guys really going to do it? 
And I've got to be honest, I don't know how to do that exactly. I have some ideas. Can't do it by myself. I need some of your guys' help. And so I want to challenge you right now, church. If you agree, and you're like, you know what? We've got to do a better job serving. We've got to figure out how can we get in this community to serve. We have thousands of homes within a two-mile radius beyond other needs in our city, but just to focus on the two- to three-mile radius right here. How do we reach this neighborhood and that neighborhood and that neighborhood? How can we do that beyond maybe sending a flyer every now and then or having an event every now and then, having an egg hunt now and then, having kids camp now and then? How do we go to them and serve them? And say we're doing it because of the love of Jesus. So you say, oh, I'm interested. I want to see us do that. Put in your connection card. I want to be part of this serving thing. We get four, five, six, eight, ten people. We'll get some food together, some drinks. We'll sit down and spend an evening just brainstorming and saying, God, what do you want us to do? How do we do that? Because as we take on the hat, the role of servant, and being a servant together, we'll shine the light of Christ in our community. One last verse we must look at. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is Paul talking about? We're called to shine our light of Christ in this world. And then Paul says, now this, jar, this treasure is in jars of clay. What is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, we have the treasure, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy of knowing and walking in Jesus. He says we have it in jars of clay. Jars of clay would be a comparison to having it, you got it in a bunch of moving boxes. Because a jar of clay would have been very normal in that culture, and they would have known what that is. And so he's making that, that, that comparison. But it's kind of like Paul is saying, you have some really expensive jewelry, and you put it in a torn and tattered cardboard box. Who would really do that? Probably none of us here. I have some jewelry. You say, I'm going to put it in my jewelry box. Maybe my jewelry box will lock up. Maybe I have a safe, depending on how much it's worth. But I'm going to take care of that piece of jewelry. Paul's saying, you have a treasure. That's Jesus Christ. He put it in jars of clay, which means common people. You and I basically are saying, you're a bunch of cardboard boxes. You're a bunch of common people. And I put a treasure inside of you. A treasure inside of us. To what? To share with this world. The treasure is the gospel, God's good news of forgiveness, the promise of eternal life. Yet, amazingly, God chose the treasure to be in jars of clay. It's kind of like when Jesus chose His disciples, the twelve, in Acts chapter 4, and He said, I, I'm choosing ordinary, unschooled men. God uses ordinary, unschooled treasures, jars of clay, cardboard boxes. He puts His treasure being the life of Christ inside of us. He says, now it's inside of you. Go live out the light of Christ. How do we do that? We let the light shine. Stay positive. Live a life of integrity. And we serve others. You want to step out of the darkness of this world, it starts with receiving Christ. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, we'd love to help you in that journey today. You can use your connection card to write that on there. We'd start a conversation about it to help you understand. Or maybe you're ready today and you say, today's my day. As we worship in communion and continue singing, I invite you to step to the back of the room and say, today's my day. I'm ready. We'll lead you down that path of receiving Christ as your Savior and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins.